So last Friday, Joe Biden fell three times as he attempted to board Air Force One. And then the White House later said this was because of strong winds, making Joe Biden the first public victim of climate change. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Well, good Tuesday to you, and welcome to the Variety Program. We have got a doozy for you today. Yeah, this one's action-packed, right? We, we got a solid lineup of, of content. I mean, you know, we are blessed with everything the left has been doing lately, whether it's Joe Biden falling up the stairs, whether it is <laughs> turning the border into an absolute crisis, you name it. I mean... So good. And also, this episode, I should add, is brought to you by Heritage Action, uh, who is a partner that we have. If regular listeners of the program will appreciate, they are leading the way to try to stop the Corrupt Politicians Act, uh, known to our listeners as HR1 that we've talked about here for the last six weeks. They are partnering with us. We are partnering with them. We need to stop this. We're very happy to have their support of the program. Yeah, it's always appreciated. And folks, we really do need to get the word out about HR1, how this is essentially just the Dem Permanent Majority Act and letting them steal it on a federal level, moving control of elections from state to federal. But what else we got on the show today? Yeah, let's not make everybody eat their broccoli up top, right? We got we have cocaine Mitch is here. Let's the go. bourbon is here. Let's go. This, this is going to be a free-flowing episode. We are... We're fired up. I think we need to stop uh, and and take note of where we're at in the hack bracket, though. Yeah, folks. So if you've been following along, uh, this is the second annual Liberal Hack Tournament that is underway right now. This is the real March Madness. It's the Hack Madness, where we pit 64, 66, counting the two planes, 66 of the biggest liberal hacks in media today against each other in a March Madness-style bracket. And uh, I mean, we already are looking at some monumental upsets here. Uh, it, the first round has been historic, shall yeah. we say? Yeah. And you know, I felt I'm a big college basketball fan. I've been watching the tournament. I've clearly been following our own tournament here with the hack bracket. I couldn't help but notice the similarity between Jeffrey Tubin and Oral Roberts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sixteen beats a beats a one. And I, I actually threw this in the Slack. I don't know if you guys remember this from from over the weekend, but I really want to record some sort of like um, <laughs> miracle on ice, sort of like, like color commentary call, you know, for Tubin. <laughs> if he, if he keeps going in, in deep and makes a deep run in the, in this tournament, we may need some sort of, you know, call. That's putting your thumb on the scale. Cause the people love, love when we sing and dance on the variety program. Okay. Well, we won't do it then. <laughs> You, you, you're thumbing the scale. Well, it's better than, well, now, you know what? We've got a distinguished <laughs> sponsor. We have the Republican leader of the Senate. I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit. I want, I want you to know I wanted to. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> but I will say, look, 
there's a couple things that we need to point out here because mm-hmm. the takeaways other than Tubin shocking the world with an upset of Matt Dowd uh, are that there, there are some uh, people who are making a run and they are really yep. putting together. Like, I gotta be honest. I think Bill Crystal could win this thing. Yeah. Just the other day, Crystal puts out this tweet advocating for DC statehood where it's just like, Oh, Oh, he's this the guy best. used to be like, in theory, a conservative commentator. Like, oh, it's so good. So he's got, you know, he blows right through Andrea Mitchell, who's like a first ballot Hall of Fame hack. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like she's done it day in and day out for 30 years. I mean, you he look at that establishment her. bracket. I mean, Andrea Mitchell is right there. You think of, you know, the establishment liberal hack old guard. He she's hangs, right there and just ran through it. Yeah. He hangs 80 plus and then he gets final four finisher Maddow for his pleasure. And and Rachel Maddow is getting drummed by Crystal as well. So I I, I don't know how it's going to shake out. He's going to have to go through Tubin. So I I, I I see your Crystal, though, and, and I, I raise you an Aaron Rupar. That's, That's what I wanted to say is that is, the, I mean, that is really the embodiment of getting hot at the right time in the tourney where he's just going off. He I mean, to, to be able to create fake news that the Chinese Communist Party runs with is like next level hackery. Next, next level yeah, it, 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 if any of our listeners missed that, basically what happened is Rupar um, took a you know selective edit to the press conference of you know a, a local um, was it a sheriff basically yeah. you know yeah. after the you know horrible shooting that happened at those spas uh, in Georgia and made it sound like the uh sheriff was just saying that the shooter had a bad day yeah and instead of instead of being honest and saying that's a direct quote well i mean what he's doing is he's you know he's trying to paraphrase they're asking they're asking him what did he say they're trying to get at his motive and all this Mm -hmm. sort of stuff which is you know i mean that's part of being a good reporter like you want to figure out what this uh, shooter was motivated by and and so the sheriff just you know basically relaying what this shooter told him then rupar takes a selective clip out of that to make make the sheriff look like he's some sort of like alt-right bad guy yeah it's incredible and then like you said smug of course you know the communist party in china uh, turns around and takes Rupar's content and is like, look, this is America, horrible racist place. You know why it's, they have concentration camps in their country? Unreal. Nasty. That is that. I mean, way to show up in, in, in March at the right time with your hackery, Aaron Rupar. Perfectly he's in timed. it to win it. He is. He is. He is. He's and crushing. That, he's crushing Oliver Darcy right now. Yeah. Which is shocking. Yeah, shocking because you look at Darcy's bar- body of work. The guy used to be a conservative, like he was like a college Republican, and then he was like, you know what? <laughs> I want to get a CNN contract. It's time does to go he, hack. Does he qualify as a as a King of the Hill uh, participant? That's a good point. You know, I, I so some people have asked about you know. On, you have to Twitter. have some conservative bona fides at some point. Yeah. I think I the way in the way that we had initially set it up, it was pretty exclusive to people who are like never Trump 
people who still publicly claim to be conservatives. conservatives yeah. Right. And so, so it's, I think, I don't think he qualifies. So he doesn't, because he doesn't claim it. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Well, that's fair. I still think, I mean, look, if we let him into that <laughs> tournament, he'd be a force. That would be, yeah. a that would be a problem. I don't know though. Crystal is the king of the hill. He'll be king of the hill for a while in my view, because he is just fantastic. We're going to get you one of those later this week for sure. But we wanted to make sure to give an update on the brackets because that's all anybody's talking about. Yeah. First of all, Fox News is covering the brackets, the hack brackets, as if it's March Madness, which I just gratefully appreciate. Well, if you look at the numbers, they've been just astronomical. Like we cracked a hundred thousand votes cast in just the first round. <laughs> so yeah, I think in voting, I think in total, I think in total in the first round after you Publish the other other side of the bracket. I think we crossed two hundred thousand holy votes. Holy. Yeah, in that in that first round, you love to see it. You love to see it, folks. You, you love, love to it. see it. You you're not surprised to see Ruben. You're not surprised to see Stelter. Last year's championship matchup, giving it hell again, posting mid nineties in each single each match. Incredible. It's incredible. They, they Dynasties. Get- yeah, but back back to what you were saying, Holmes, about King of the Hill. It's like it's sort of tough for us to run that game during the tournament because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to put your thumb on the scale. Yep. Right. Um, which means, oh gosh, we're, we're leaving some real good content out there that we, <laughs> we because it, we, it's a, it's a fair, we believe in, in free and fair elections folks. <laughs> we, we aren't putting out our personal brackets that could influence the outcome. This is the people voting. We're doing this legally. One That's person, right. one vote. That's right. We're going to get in in our HR one segment. We're going to get deeply into fairness of elections. But first, we want to ta- tackle the border crisis, which, you know, evidently the administration is still having trouble wrapping their minds around the fact that they have a crisis. But and it, is- it can't even get Mayorkas to say the word crisis. It's incredible. You know, you're putting up you have record numbers of people at the border you have record number of children being thrown in cages by this administration and 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 fema's down there now and they still won't call it a crisis and they've made the one mistake a democrat can make with the press it's the only thing you can do not to just get stenography as your as your newspapers and newscasts it's to to limit access Mm. to pretend like you're hiding something, you know? I mean, once you do that to a press corps, even if you're a Democrat, they're going to bite you in the ass. And so they did that last week and they limited access and they wouldn't tell people what's going on down at the border. They heard horror stories about, you know, three and four times capacity of some of these facilities that are housing children uh, being just overrun and, and nobody could go down and see it. And so, some some pictures were taken by a Democratic congressman that sort of confirmed what was yep. happening. And all of a sudden, now, you, Katie, bar the door. We've got people are interested. People, Nobody was interested, by the way, when, when Joe Biden told everybody to come to the border. Nope. Right? Oh, that's yep. just good politics. Right? But now that they've followed through and decided to come to the border in their Joe Biden T-shirts, well, now it's getting covered. When when these migrants are being interviewed and they're being and they tell the reporter that yes Joe Biden invited me that's why we are here this is this is why we have a crisis folks 
when they tell you, I mean, when the message goes out, when every Democrat candidate raised their hand and said, absolutely, I would provide free health care for any, uh, you know, illegal migrant who enters our country. That message is received loud and clear. So when they show up in, in, in Biden Harris shirts and they tell reporters, I'm here because Joe Biden invited me and this administration puts these kids in cages at a record level. This is a crisis of their own creation. Crisis of their own creation. I, I, I have to read this, guys, because, um, you know, I mean, it's it is obviously super sad what's happening at the border. But 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 the Democrats sort of heel turn um, is amusing. <laughs> it's something. It really is. You got uh, Senator Chris Murphy um, from Connecticut um, put up this tweet um, over the weekend where he said, <laughs> I think press should have some access. Yes, but not unfettered enough for accurate reporting on conditions. And then here in parentheses, which are challenging, but improving, but not so much to disrupt the already tumultuous lives of these children. It's like these people called it concentration camps under President Trump. And now it's the press shouldn't have unfettered access to these facilities. It's like, listen, folks, I mean, we should have some press, but not a free press. Are we serious? These are the worst people in the world. I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you the the, the people who who decide to encourage. Migrant families Mm -hmm. who are absolutely at at the end of the earth, right? They're in a horrible situation. They wouldn't travel by foot hundreds of miles to the border if they weren't. The people who encourage them to do that, who stand on the stage and raise their hand and say, I'm going to give you health care benefits. Just come to the border. We're going to take care of it. You should all be Americans. On day one, sure. I'm going to pass legislation that welcomes you as an American citizen. The people who do that, and then they see thousands of people at the border and they throw them in cages and pretend like they don't know what's going on and pretend like it was the previous administration's policy challenges that have give, given them that. They're, those are the worst people in the world. Exactly. We're, we're exactly. witnessing in real time, we're witnessing in real time the failure of liberal border policy. And this was, like you said, goes all the way back to the Democratic primary in 2020. And, you know, they they rolled out the welcome mat saying, come here, amnesty, free health care. And this is what happens. This is This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. But this is a failure, a systemic failure by the Democrats of their liberal immigration policy. And this is this is how it will always go down. It's almost how they want it to go down. Right. You know, that's a funny point. I brought this up with with Leader McConnell. And I'm not going to I'm not going to read out what he has to say. You got to listen to it for yourself. But that's his point. What you just said. This is this is the intent. This isn't like. Yep. It's not coincidence, folks. Not an accident. If yeah. if if you watch any of the media coverage of of this crisis at the border, what you'll you'll find is very quickly they pull back from the issue of uh, you know m- migrants in these facilities to the issue of, gosh, we could solve this tomorrow if we only got comprehensive immigration reform. Oh. And when they say that, what they mean is they want amnesty for everyone that's here illegally immediately. Yes, and, and it's and- like that conversation just draws more migrants to the border every day. And lest you believe for a second that their amnesty policy is based on human rights. 
It's not. They clearly don't care about human rights or they wouldn't be dealing with what they're dealing with on the border right now. The reason that they want that is political. They think they believe cynically, which is hilarious that they took a step back in 2020 on this, by the way, but they cynically believe that new migrants to the country are automatically Democratic voters because they are they are the ones advocating for their citizenship. Well, that's right? the thing. So the other day the news came out, um, Peter Hassan uh, picked up on this, where Border Patrol in the Rio Grande Valley are releasing illegal crossers into the U.S. without a court date. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, that was the thing that Biden always said uh, back to the Democratic primary was, you know what? What we've actually found, the statistics show is you don't have to hold all these people in migrant facilities. You give them a court date. They'll definitely come back. And now they're not even doing that. Not even doing that. So no court date. And then they want to also get H.R. 1, which doesn't require any voter I.D., which allows for ballot harvesting. Wow. It's all about that. We got, let's get right into the HR one thing, because I know that's a, that's the audience wants to hear it. Everybody wants to hear it, but it is a, there's a connection. The point is what we just talked about with border policies is it is imminently connected to their first legislative priority, which is it, it, trying to rig elections, frankly. It, it, it's the corrupt politicians act. That's what right. it is. They want to take power away from individual states to have reasonable ballot security measures, just show your ID. It's easy, folks. They want to take all that power out from individual states, and they want to bring it all in so Dems can call the shots in D.C. Right. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer want to federalize our elections. They want to make the public contribute to their campaigns, and they want to weaken state election laws. So when you hear H.R. 1, think Corrupt Politicians Act. Because that's what it is. Bingo. And, and this is this has been, I just I'll add, they've been trying to do this for years. They got their foot in the door because of COVID. And now they are couching all of these priorities, which have absolutely nothing to do with participation in elections. It's just democratic participations in the election. They're couching it all under some sort of like civil rights issue, which is just shocking. Imagine. Imagine if a Republican decided just for a second to insinuate that, that, that populations in the country can't figure out how to produce an ID. Isn't that something? That, but that's the core of their argument. The core of their argument is that there are, are huge segments that are based on race, on identity, on skin color, that, can't, that don't have access to getting IDs. It was like when Biden said that people of color don't know how to use computers to sign up for vaccines. I mean, it's just, it's just it, it, like it, beyond patronizing. It's insulting. It's totally insulting. It's completely ridiculous. And it has nothing to do with it. Right. And I mean, that seems to be a tactic that they constantly use. And it, like we, we told you, folks, it's all interconnected where the thing is, is they want to get rid of the Senate filibuster so they can push all of this through. That's the, the filibuster is pretty much the only thing standing between Schumer and passing this the, uh, this bill. And thank God we're getting the, the, the word out on this. There's a lot of groups out there. Heritage Action is getting the word out on this. They, they spent like 10 mil on a blitz that's happening right now to get the word out on this. Yes. Yeah, so, so to put a little more meat on the bone there, Smug, on the federal level, Heritage Action is organizing. They've got 2 million grassroots activists to stop HR1. They're running ads. They're educating voters. They're getting activists to call Congress. 
It's great. It's great because the key, the key here, the key to stopping HR1, the Corrupt Politicians Act, as we're calling it, is to preserve the Senate filibuster. All of these Democrats who used the filibuster countless times during the last administration, now suddenly, suddenly it's a relic of Jim Crow. <laughs> That's the thing is they will call this racist without without being held accountable for the fact that when you know Senator Tim Scott put forth a police reform bill, they filibustered it. It wasn't. It, it's not racist. He's it against Tim Scott, but it's racist now. Well, yeah, and 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 I mean they're going all in on on that angle. Smug. They got Stacey Abrams. Again, this is a woman, and we've talked about this previously on the podcast. A woman who was claimed that her own election was stolen has never conceded never that conceded. she lost, mm-hmm. and she's she's working with these Democrats to pass HR one to kill any bill in Georgia that would actually promote common sense election laws. It's massive a coordinated effort to attack fair elections. And on the state level, Heritage Action is leading the fight to secure and strengthen election uh, laws. Basically, you know, like you had said, Smug, they're spending 10 mil and they're targeting Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Michigan, Nevada, Texas, Wisconsin, large issue advocacy campaign. They're going to mobilize grassroots activists across the country they're doing a, a, a voter transparency television and digital campaign to educate voters on all of these reforms and, you know, working with state legislatures. So it's not just federal. No, no, because here's, here's the problem is, you know, and, and we learned a lot about this in 2020. It's like, you know, if we can stop HR1 on the federal level, great. Absolutely great. But ultimately, states manage their elections. Mm-hmm. So if you yep. can't if, if if you can't organize locally to fight back on a lot of this nonsense like getting rid of voter ID laws, all that sort of stuff, then we don't stand a chance. That's the thing is they know. So the, you look at what what their aims are. It's like DC statehood, making sure they have a permanent majority. They want to federalize elections so that they can bring the same practices that they use in California to coast to coast. Every red state Nowhere would be safe from them. And the I'm thing just, is, you know, the thing is, is that this stuff is not all that sexy, right? It's not the stuff that makes everybody motivated to go get out and, and you know, become a Republican or become a conservative or whatever. But it's the stuff that allows you to be. Exactly. Right? And and that's why, I mean, Heritage Action, I'm glad we have McConnell on the program today because this is a guy who, that, it basically, be, how he became leader in a lot of ways because of, his efforts in the nineties against McCain Feigl. I mean, he fought it for 10 years before it ultimately became law and almost everything that he said would come true, did come true about what happens when you try to limit speech. It just, it just explodes the system. And so anyway, I mean, look, this is, this is a life or death type thing for conservatives out there. If you're not into it, you need to go to saveourelections.com, saveourelections.com. It's a, a site that has been sponsored by Heritage. And I just, there's a bunch of good information on it. You can sign up, you can be a part of uh, that movement. I would encourage you to do so because honestly, it's really, really important. I'm very, very, very grateful that Heritage Action sponsored this program. We've been talking about this issue relentlessly because it is so, so important. Like you were saying, Holmes, it's not sexy, but somebody's got to do it. I'm glad they're doing it again. Visit saveourelections.com, get involved, help us win this. So let's get to uh, the the candy here, which is 
the interview with Cocaine Mitch. Let's do it. Leader Mitch McConnell, welcome to Ruthless. Glad to be with you. You know, I hope I was counting on the staff giving you a, a rigorous prep session for this interview because I know that this one is really probably likely to be the most significant interview that you've done in months. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, we've been noticing, look, you've, you've made a lot of head, headlines in the last week, and I know Smug uh, has been up to date on the, on the border issue. And, and Smug, I, I, I know you had some thoughts that you wanted to try to get here. Yeah, so I mean, pretty much that is right now, in my opinion, the biggest story you're seeing the headlines constantly of the crisis that's happening at the border. And I, I want to ask, are you surprised by like the ignorance and level of how unprepared the Biden administration was in handling this crisis at the border? Uh, no, uh, I think given what uh, the new president said during the campaign, you could expect um, a wave of desperate people to be heading to our borders. And that's exactly what happened. And it's been, um, well, nothing about this is amusing, but it's almost amusing to hear Mayorkas claim it isn't a crisis. And um, he still refuses to use the word, even though they sent the Federal Emergency Management Agency down there, which is what they do, go to crises. Um, entirely predictable, and um, they're struggling with it. And the previous administration actually did an excellent job of controlling the border, and they have been busily work on doing all the elements that um, that made the border secure. A perfect example of that was people being detained on the Mexican side of the border uh, rather than on our side, where they are uh, being basically uh, released. Yeah, that's just a horrible problem, and and I I don't see them getting to a a good answer anytime soon. I mean, it appears to me like when you can't even acknowledge the problem, uh, you got a tough time coming up with a solution. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I think this is what they anticipated. And um, I gather the activist groups who, who, uh, who have influence in the Democratic Party prefer this kind of outcome. Yeah. And um, we're back to where we started. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's hard not to n note the political side of this, as you just mentioned, because basically everything about the Democratic agenda, whether it be House or Senate Democrats or the Biden administration, is, is political in nature. I mean, everything from H.R. 1, their first priority being a, a political endeavor, to elimination of the filibuster for uh, the purposes of, of statehood for D.C. I mean, every, it just appear like Basically, everything they're trying to do here is, is gain political power. Yeah, and they want to do it in a hurry because they're afraid that their window of opportunity might not open all that, might not be open all that long. And uh, it is curious, though, if you look out at the Congress, the 50-50 Senate and a few seats separating the majority from the minority in the House, I don't see a mandate. Uh, they don't have a mandate to do this kind of stuff. Uh, I, I know what a mandate looks like. That was Barack Obama in 08. We were down to 40 senators. It took us six years to climb out of that hole. Um, they don't have a mandate, but they're afraid that all of this will come to an end in 22, and they need to move quickly and solidify power. And that's what 
you mentioned H.R. 1. For your listeners, that's the Democratic plan to take over the American election system and have it run from Washington in every conceivable way, which they consider will benefit them. And um, it may. I mean, the the most egregious example in it is they turn the Federal Election Commission, which has historically been a 3-3 agency on purpose to keep neither side from exploiting the other into a 3-2 agency with the uh, the tiebreaker appointed by the president. So they, they, they want to um, they, they want to change the system to benefit themselves. <clears throat> and they want to have, instead of uh, a referee, they want the FEC to be a prosecutor. And that and that's the most interesting part of this to me. It's always cloaked in the idea of getting people to vote, but you've been on the front lines of this going back all the way to McCain-Feingold and the role that you played in the campaign finance debates. But really, as Democrats approach these issues, it's never really about getting people to vote. It's getting Democrats to vote. Yeah. I mean, we had record turnouts last year. There's no... Fewer Americans are sitting on the sidelines and not participating than ever. So this is not to drive up turnout. Turnout's already driven up. It's to uh, uh, take over the Federal Election Commission so it can be a prosecutor. It's to uh, provide public funding for elections. It's to provide the same-day registration, which I just looked at a survey that said 81 percent of the American people are concerned about something like that leading to um, uh, vote fraud. Uh, It's about eliminating voter ID at the polls, which the American people support 72 to 25. Mm. Um, And this it also mandates what's called ballot harvesting. That is going around and picking up ballots of other people. Uh, the American people, when that's explained to them, oppose it 83 to 16. So th- this is not um, about anything other than uh, trying to help the Democrats win elections in perpetuity. It really does seem like their initial push. Like, you know, it's so telling of an administration's first 100 days of what their priorities are. But it really seems like the Biden administration, the Democrats right now, have, have the idea of focusing and centralizing power within D.C., and within just their party, whether it's uh, eliminating the filibuster or HR1 or, or stacking the FEC. And now, I mean, they, for some time now, they've been talking about trying to stack the courts and, and I mean, pack the courts. So it seems like that's their, their main focus right now, especially given that they don't have a mandate. Yeah. Well, and also they want to change the, the makeup of the Senate by admitting two new states, uh, D.C. and Puerto Rico, to give them in all well, virtual certainty, four new Democratic senators uh, forever. Um, so you change the makeup of the Senate. You you break the rules of the Senate uh, to um, to be able to get what you want all the time. And and in line with all of that is I, I noticed last week you had remarks regarding the Iowa two uh, situation where uh, we had the congresswoman on our program actually. Uh, last week to talk about it, but Nancy Pelosi's effort to overturn an election that has been certified in the state of Iowa. Sounds like they were preaching that in November and December, that uh, state certification was sacrosanct. I guess it's sacrosanct when it isn't, except when it isn't. And um, this is 
every time I think they can't reach a new low, they do. And they seem to be on the cusp of uh, setting aside a, uh, a certified winner. Admittedly, it was a close election and seating the Democrat instead. Uh, that's where they seem to be headed. It's just such a jarring reversal in less than 60 days from where they were with the Electoral College and all of that. I mean, I can't help but notice, you know, for all of the outside consternation by organizations about whether they would ever support Republicans who, you know, either voted to uh, overturn the Electoral College or some way participated in that, aren't those organizations sort of obligated to take the same approach to what Nancy Pelosi is trying to do? Well, hypocrisy is not unheard of in Washington, but this is jaw-dropping <laughs> hypocrisy. <laughs> and you're not, are you, is that to say that you're not holding your breath that everybody's going to hold them accountable? No, I mean, it, technically, technically the House does determine who is seated in the House, but for goodness sake, um, certification of state elections should be in uh, the final word, uh, the, 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 rather than the majority deciding who, who gets to, to have a seat. Yeah, no, no question about it. Well, the only way they're able to do anything other than the Iowa st uh, stuff that we talked about is if they eliminate the filibuster. And I know you've been remarkably clear on that for years. Just what do you think is, is at stake for conservatives in this fight? Uh, everything. If they turn the Senate into a simple majority body, <clears throat> the essence of the Senate is lost. I mean, it's been forever the place where bad ideas die and where compromises are, are made. Um, Washington himself, not predicting the filibuster, but <clears throat> was asked at the Constitutional Convention, what do you think the Senate will be like? He said, I think it'll be like the saucer underneath the teacup, the tea will slosh out of the cup down into the saucer and cool off. It was always going to be a place where things were slowed down, thought over, bad ideas were killed, and compromises that could be reached were reached. Uh, these folks are not interested in compromise. They're interested in passing all of their uh, bills to remake America uh, in spite of the mandate that they did not get last year as rapidly as possible. And the filibuster is what prevents that. So it looks like we're down to two brave Democrats, uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, uh, preserving the institution. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, a wise man once said, you'll regret this, and you may regret this a lot sooner than you think, <laughs> trying to advise individuals about the importance of of, of having the Senate not based on a simple majority. Um, what kind of consequences do you think the Democrats would face if they, if they allowed this to happen? And then uh, if somehow, despite their efforts to increase the number of Democrat states in the Senate, uh, what kind of ramifications do you think that would have for them? Well, the wise man I think you were referring to was me. <laughs> <laughs> I said that after they um, changed one of the rules back in 2013. <clears throat> to expedite uh, the executive uh, calendar. The Senate has two calendars, executive calendar for nominations, which was historically done on a simple majority basis, and the legislative calendar. Well, here, I think if they 
destroy the essence of the Senate, the legislative filibuster, they will find a Senate that will not function. Um, it takes unanimous consent to turn the lights on here. And I think they would leave a, um, <clears throat> an angry 50 senators not interested in being cooperative on even the simplest things. So my point being, it may not be the panacea that they anticipate it would be. It could turn the Senate into sort of a nuclear winter um, where the aftermath of the so-called nuclear option is not a sustainable place. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, nuclear, we were wanting to get uh, uh, have you weigh in on among the many colorful nicknames you've accrued over the past few years, whether it's Nuclear Mitch, Cocaine Mitch, Midnight Mitch, Grim Reaper Mitch, which among those is your favorite? One you didn't mention. My favorite was Darth Vader. That's a good one. That's good. Yeah, that was from the campaign finance wars of uh, a couple of decades ago, and it looks like we're about to have them again. <clears throat> I revere all of my nicknames, but Darth Vader was my favorite. <laughs> I particularly liked when you answered your phone, Cocaine Mitch, for like six months. That was good. That was a nice touch. <laughs> so we've got uh, three questions that we've got to get to that are uh, hand-selected uh, by the cast and crew of Ruthless to get uh, to the core of all of our guests. And the first one is Mitch McConnell's last meal on earth, what would it be? Um, <clears throat> halibut, uh, supplied by uh, the Alaska senators, <laughs> and uh, the best fish that ever came out of the ocean. <laughs> that's, that's something. That's up. You didn't you go fishing for halibut once up in Alaska? Salmon, <clears throat> salmon, uh, but um, halibut is even better. Ah, that's good. All right. Well, that's a good one. Um, second question: If you weren't involved in politics, what would you be doing with your life? Well, I'd be missing politics, but I think I'd probably be in the business world, uh, trying to run. Uh, businesses, uh, taking them from startups uh, as far as my ingenuity could take them. Uh, that's great. And, to and tolerating the inevitable setbacks that you have <laughs> when you draw that. Yeah, in life as in politics, right? Yep. Uh, third question. And I told, I told your comms director that if you answer, I know the answer to this that you're going to provide, but if you're trying to fib, I'm going to call you on it. <laughs> so, so the third question is what motivates Mitch McConnell more the thrill or victory or the agony of defeat? Oh, the thrill of victory. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> don't believe you. I have celebrated enormous victories with you and you've enjoyed them for about 10 minutes. <laughs> well, I've tried to avoid the agony of defeat and so far been very fortunate in that regard. Yes, you have. Maybe okay, so maybe that's it. We haven't we haven't crossed that bridge. But I've never I've never met an individual and I I don't know Michael Jordan personally, so I, I don't mean maybe he uh, goes above this, but I've never met an individual so motivated by avoiding defeat than you. <laughs> 
Well, um, <clears throat> the late, great Richard Nixon said, don't enjoy your triumphs too much because they probably won't last. And for him, they surely didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's sound advice. <laughs> sound advice from someone who knows, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spug had one more question about bourbon because he's a bourbon connoisseur. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's no way you can't ask Mitch McConnell about bourbon, but coming from the great state of Kentucky, which distillery or what bourbon is your personal favorite? Well, I have three daughters. That would be like asking me which of my daughters I preferred. Uh, <laughs> no Kentucky politician will ever pick one bourbon. So I know it sounds terribly political, but I'm going to have to dodge that one. That could, that could be a fatal mistake. That's right. Then, then my follow-up would be, uh, what's your favorite bourbon cocktail? Uh, I think an old fashioned. Uh, I do like a Manhattan as well. Uh, those are both, both solid. solid. Picks. Both solid. Well, later, listen, we can't thank you enough for joining us. You are on the front lines. Once again, you've helped lead us back in 09 from unified democratic government. And I know you can do it again. We're all uh, rooting you on and, and you have an open line here whenever uh, you got something you want to talk about. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. I enjoyed it. So, I mean, clearly, look, he's, this is my former boss. This is someone who uh, I just adore in, in many ways. He's like family to me, as I've mentioned in the program before. But what I like most about him from a political perspective is he's just all business all the time. Well, I like, you know, I appreciate you bringing back the question. I'd, I'd, the most important question, in my opinion, is the favorite bourbon. What's your bourbon cocktail? <laughs> I mean, it's a Kentucky guy through and through. Uh and, and the one question next, if we can get him back, it's a controversial one, folks. We have had on the program two former Mitch McConnell chief of staffs, Josh Holmes and Stephen Law. Next time, next time we can get Mitch, I want to ask him, who's the all-time greatest chief of staff? You can have one. Who is it? You bet. <laughs> a battle. A you battle. Bet. I'm just frankly really thankful you didn't ask him that. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh I got to say, I got to say, I mean, um, the last question, uh, thrill of victory or agony of defeat. Um, I think he was trolling me. I think so. Yeah. I think he was trolling me. I mean, I told him I was going to call him out. I know the way that, I mean, look, I've, I've, I've worked with him closely for 15 years. There is nobody who hates to lose more than Mitch McConnell. Nobody. And I mean, nobody, it keeps him up at night, right? This is, this is somebody who is driven entirely in my view uh by the idea that someone can pull one over on him i think that's kind of a midwestern thing by the way i grew up with the same thing and i've noticed a lot of answers from a lot of our our uh yeah guests it, it there's a regional component to it in a lot of ways but then when he said it's a thrill of victory i was like no well he he just loves saying he's never lost you know, <laughs> know. That's what it but, was. Let's, but let's be let's be honest. It's it's the fear that you might lose that drives you every day to give 100 yeah. percent. And that's why he's been so successful for so long. And I, I got to tell a little story here um, because, I mean, like Holmes, I mean, you know this. I, I you know, I didn't start my career being a Mitch McConnell guy. No, you I got telling us. Right. Right. You know, so, so for the listeners, you know, I mean, like I, I really started out in sort of like grassroots movement, you know, conservative politics. And, you know, when I got into the consulting side, I, I, I got hired, um, you know, on the 2014 race 
uh, for the McConnell campaign. When you can't beat him, hire him. That's the thing. <laughs> and I'll never forget this. And I'll, I'll never forget this. When I, I went into the first meeting at campaign headquarters and, uh, you know, Leader McConnell's there and he's sitting down with all the grassroots folks, you know, like, you know, all the field directors, everybody who's, you know, they're all over the state right at the local level and they've come back into the headquarters in louisville to basically give give their field report to the boss and mcconnell sits there person after person and he can name down to the local judicial race Mm -hmm. who's who's going to be on the ballot and what that's going to do to turnout and how how that's going to impact his margins in various counties. And it was honest of, you know, just having not worked in the McConnell um, world yet, it was really eye opening to see that a guy who's, you know, leader um, of the party in the Senate would be that focused. But that's what it requires to do his job. Yeah. And it was just like, I, I'd never seen anything like that at, at, at that sort of high level. And it really impressed me from that day. And at that point, I was a McConnell person for life. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because, you know, I didn't start there either. Right. Um, but I ended up there. And, and the thing that you appreciate right away is that actual victory in politics, whether it be policies or whether it be campaigns, it requires a huge amount of work, total attention to detail and expertise. Right. And we gloss over all that shit in the cable news culture. Right. It's like the, you know, hey, what's he saying today? Is he controversial? Is he, you know, whatever? And not that there's not a place for that, but you also need people who can win, yep. who are driven intensely every day, tortured by the idea that they could possibly lose something to a lib. And like, that's Mitch McConnell. That's the thing. You want to make a point or you want to make a difference? That's right. That's right. It's sort of his motto. Anyway, we thank him for coming on the program. It had been a couple months. I think he wanted to test it out and see if we could actually be successful. <laughs> before coming on this thing. He didn't want to be like gratuitous about it, but anyway. Uh, and we have been, and you know, thank you so much to our listeners. Our numbers keep going up. It's uh, honestly, I never thought we'd be hitting these numbers, but we are so appreciative to all our listeners and we're going to have a heck of a show this Thursday that uh, we'll tease it on Wednesday. Yeah, we'll give you a teaser. Yeah. But until then, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.